everyone. I'm Dr. Susie Green, CEO and founder of the Positivity Institute. Welcome to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series two, where I'll be chatting to those pioneers of positive education, those who forged forward in their mission to create flourishing students, staff, and whole school communities. I'll be speaking to POSED pioneers from various schools around Australia over coming weeks, speaking with them about their experiences and journeys in positive education. My hope is that you're inspired and motivated to consider positive education for your school. The podcast series is generously sponsored by Perth College, who will also be hosting the Flourish 2019 conference this October in Western Australia. And we hope to see you there. Kevin Robillard holds a Bachelor of Education degree from Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada, a Master's of Education from the University of Melbourne in Student Wellbeing. Kevin has taught in Canada, the United Kingdom and in Australia, where he is currently the learning leader for the Felicitous Life Program at Loretto College, Ballarat. Kevin has overseen the implementation of positive education at Loretto College for year 7 to 12 students, including the development of lesson content, introducing parent workshops, leading staff professional development, working with year-level coordinators on program initiatives, as well as consulting with the leadership team to implement positive psychology elements throughout the school. Kevin also played competition-level ice hockey in Canada as a teen, and he has a passion for sports, travel, music, and well-being, of course. Good morning, Kevin. Thanks so much for joining us today. Morning, Susie. Thanks for having me. Really keen to hear a little bit about your role at Loretto Ballarat and also Loretto Ballarat's journey into positive education. Yeah, Perfect. I'm happy to uh, to tell you what we've been doing here. Great. So when did it actually begin? Probably around 2013. Just the role I have didn't exist then, but our principal and a few other members of our leadership program team were hearing about PAUSED, exploring the ideas of a more structured program for mental health here at Loretto. I think about the same time, our executive deputy principal arrived with ideas about it. So a lot of people were coming together and realizing we need to do something, but weren't quite sure where to go. I think what put us over the top was our schools, uh, specifically our leadership team, is always in contact with other Loretto schools around Australia, and they meet regularly and they share good practice. I guess you could say our journey really took the next step through networking when we saw the positive effect PAUSED was having and how it changed the way well-being was delivered in other Loretto schools, particularly Loretto Kirribilli in Sydney. Yes, and as you know, Kevin, I was really fortunate to work with Loretto Kirribilli for two years. I guess being uh, uh, possibly the third school in Australia that uh, took a strategic approach to positive ed and uh, we worked with them for two years and during that time I was also very, very fortunate to learn about Ignatian Spirituality and Mary Ward, the founder of the Loretto Schools. So then the second Loretto School I worked with was actually Loretto uh, Ballarat. And I can, I guess, firstly to look at the connections because a lot of schools looking to take POSED, as you would know, are keen to make it their own and to make it fit with their ethos or their underpinning philosophy or uh, religious affiliation. Can you tell us a little bit about how you see POSED fitting with the Loretto approach? I think if you go back to the founder of of Loretto, uh, Mary Ward, she had a vision to educate young women, and rightfully so, well ahead of her time. And I, I think 
along with that, she recognized very early, and the Loretta sisters recognized very early that, quite simply, students will learn better if they're happy, if they're in a good place. And so that's been at the heart of our well-being program for, well, for 400 years. And I think what Pauzette is doing is a little bit like exercises. If you look at how some people exercised 100 years ago to the methods of training they use today, science has just improved how well the modern athlete can perform. And I think Pauzette is sort of that tool for mental health aspect is that we are, I think mental health is not new. I think the way we approach it and the way Pauzette looks at it definitely gives it a modern twist. And so we can link them both in that manner. And I guess that was going to be one of my questions around was the initial impetus around mental health in schools for, I mean, it has been for a lot of schools, but where are you currently sitting there in terms of utilising as a mental health prevention and or a wellbeing promotion approach? I guess I'm really keen to hear how you're positioning it because some schools are very, I guess, quite explicitly positioning it as a mental health prevention approach. But as you and I know, it can also be very much, as you made some wonderful connections there to, I guess, physical health and sports, it's also about capability building and being our best selves, enhancing well-being and overall optimal functioning. So really keen to see how it's it's being, I guess, positioned or how it's being uh, perceived and received at the school from staff and students. Yeah, well, like you said earlier, we're trying to embed it in the Mary Ward values and the way I describe as Loretto-ized it. In terms of being positioned, it fits in with a lot of different things. Obviously, in RE class, we've got some teachers using character strengths to talk about Jesus. Fantastic. We have health classes that have always been doing mental health topic, but we, we've been linking it there and we've got some specific classes. So we're really trying to fit it in across, which is why we've actually called our program Felicitous Life. So it's named after Felicity, which is one of the five virtues that Loretta schools guide our vision, if you will. So it really fits in with everything that we're doing. Absolutely. And felicity meaning happiness, which I guess was a perfect fit there as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, open-minded, optimistic, willing to take on challenges. I think if we're, we're mentally healthy, then we're in a good position to take on all those challenges that life throws at us and flourish, really. And can you tell us a little bit about your journey so far? Like, how did you initially roll it out and where are you up to now? Yeah, so I think initially, like I said, our leadership team really explored it. And I think one of the first steps they did, which was really good, they went to one of the first PISA conferences. And that's where they made some connections. They got some ideas to bring back. It's also where I believe Liz made the connection with yourself, Susie, to, to form a partnership. And the initial steps really were that we knew we wanted it. We weren't quite sure how it was going to look. The leadership team set aside some time for the year sevens and eights. We had you training the staff. But at that initial point, we weren't still sure of the chronological order, I guess, if you will, the curriculum from seven to 12, how it would flow and build on itself. So if you call that phase one, we sort of jumped right into it. Yes. I think phase two really began with the hiring or formation of what here is known as our Felicitas Life Learning Leader. And I think in other schools, they call it the Director of Positive Education. Yes. What, what that did is it created, when we applied for that role or when I applied for that role, we had to do a, an action plan. And out of the action plan and the conversations there, we had a lot more direction. 
we had a vision of where we wanted the program to go. We now have content that is similar to probably any other faculty where it's, it's organized from 7 to 12. Links were being made with what we were already doing in the camps and retreats, parent evenings. Right. Well, what we were doing with the parent evenings is really taking a snapshot of what the students were learning so that it could go back home with, with the families. Really out of that role, we had, I guess, a focal point to drive it through the whole school. You do have weekly classes, dedicated classes. Yes, we do. The seventh and eighth have it once a week. The year nines, it's really embedded. They have a really wonderful active learning program. And the 10 to 12s probably get an explicit lesson, maybe three times a term, but it's, it's woven into other stuff they, they do, like the year 10s. We've done a little bit differently here. We've, we've given year level themes. Yes. Instead of trying to roll it out and say, this is what we're doing, we looked at our school. We did an audit of where are we already approaching this similarly. And what we found was it was perfect for year sevens to do really a strong focus on character strengths and emotions. They're yes. new to the school. They're discovering themselves. And we're really building up a strong sense of self with that. The year eight, for a little while there, there was always one year eight classroom that just had some social issues as group dynamics and stuff. So we threw in positive relationships there. So the year eights have a really strong focus across all of their programs about active listening skills, how to start conversations, group dynamics. It just worked well there. Yeah. The nines is positive health. So their right. mind and spirit is putting in action. It's active learning. It's, it's putting it all together. Our year tens, we have positive purpose. So the year, at year 10, we sort of start to look out now. From right. 7, 8, 9, we're developing the self of the student, the confidence. In year 10, we really want them starting to look at the community. So with positive purpose, we're looking for them to go on work experience. They all of a sudden are starting to look at VC subject selection. So positive purpose, what's their role going to be in the community to contribute to something greater than themselves, that kind of thing? Absolutely. I often quote Mary Ward's saying of go forth and set fire to the world, which fits beautifully with that, doesn't it? Yeah. And, um, you know, that ties in with those year 10s. Going forward, year 11 and 12, obviously with VC, there's a different challenge. The focus definitely is still academic. We're hoping for next year. So the year 11 sort of focus is positive engagement. And what we have planned for next year, if it works, is going to be really phenomenal. It actually ties in coaching with the positive. We we ideally like to see an army of year 11 contributing, not as a whole year level at once, but in pockets here and there with all the year seven, eight, nine, ten 10 camps, retreats, programs, maybe coaching the year 10s with their subject selection since they've already just gone through it. Fabulous. Buddying up with the sevens and eights to make them feel part of the school. So really engaging them as leaders and empowering them and giving them opportunities to be leaders uh, within the school. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And obviously, year 11 is uh, the ideal year to do that, too. Um, and uh, you're probably aware of some of my colleague, uh, Christian Van Nielberg's research on student coaching, showing that the students providing the coaching, you know, having been trained in some coaching skills and then using it to coach younger students, that they're also benefiting in being the coach as well. So great benefits there. Yeah, well, we know as teachers that, if you can explain it to someone, your understanding comprehension of the topics is just through the roof. It sinks in a whole lot more if you can do that. Absolutely. And so what has been the response from the students? Because you have been doing this for a few years now. And I'm, I guess I'm also curious about 
you know, the beginning and the evolution of it and seeing the students and, as I said, their response to it, particularly over time. Yeah, I think, first and foremost, we've always prided ourselves. I think all Loretto schools pride themselves on having good well-being programs. So yes. I think we were able to implement it from the student's perspective without a huge shift, I guess, from what we have been doing. We just elevated what we were doing. I would say our journey has two halves. Our original focus, which we have done, began with really focusing on seven to nine, getting that set up. And not that we haven't been looking at 10 to 12, but with the VC focus, we thought, let's get a good base. Then as these students come through, we're going to shift that culture. So from seven to nine, students have been absolutely phenomenal. They've taken it on. They love it. We actually have some projects in term four that we work on. So instead of you're not going to test cause ed like, like a math test. <laughs> An exam, yeah. So we've implemented individual projects that happen at the end of the year. And we see students working right. on projects at recess and lunch trying to finish them up. And they've really taken to them. So from the year seven to eight perspective, it's been seamless. It's been really, really good. And staff have been phenomenal in taking it. 10 to 12, we have a little different structure. And the students don't see the same staff members as much. So... Um, it's there. It's still struggling a little bit, I'll, I'll be honest, but um, we're getting there. We're working on it. So with those projects, I'm really curious about those. Are they like a self-project in applying what they've learned or how do the projects actually work? So every seven to nine student has to do a project at the end of the year and it's our Felicity's Life projects. In year seven, uh, we've tied it into character strengths and emotions. So it's actually an art project. So it's co-curricular, cross-curricular as well. And they have to do a silhouette of the face of a girl. And within that, they draw things that express their strengths. So the top five character strengths. Right. And probably top five emotions. And so what we're doing is we're creating this visual image of self for the students through art, and then they have to do a little presentation on what are their character strengths, how do their character strengths make them resilient, what are their emotions, why is it important that these emotions are known about them, and how do they influence their behavior. So it really ties their strengths to who they are and how they interact with others, so it's really good. The year eight, the theme with positive relationships, we wanted a project that deliberately made them work together and use those interpersonal skills. So what they have to do as a class of 26 students is they have to create a 15-minute video and make it look like one person did it, explaining all of the positive education and concepts taught through the year. Right. So what they do is they have, I think they have six smaller groups, um, and we tied this media study. So there is an executive producer who would oversee the whole class, <laughs> a, producer, a content manager. So we tied in the roles of a, a proper production. Wow. And when we launched it in the theaterette with the whole year level, we actually get the media studies teacher in to highlight these roles. And we, we, we set them up. And at the end of the year, they go to the theaterette for an afternoon. They watch six class videos. And, it, and they're well-being videos, acted, delivered, written by students, for students. And they're watching themselves explain things like active listening skills, things like um, ants and pets and all these things that we're learning through the year. It's really phenomenal. That's amazing, isn't it? And I love the connection, as you said, to, to a cross-curricular approach. And it really is bringing, I guess, the uh, the science to life, isn't it? So it makes it really meaningful for the students. Yeah, it, it's fun, first of all. 
Um, yeah. I don't even know if they realize how much they're learning doing it yeah. and they're using it, right? It's not just, do you know what active listening is? They actually have to use the skills. And I think that's how we would judge the success of our program is if we can actually see students using what they are learning. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just in regards to the staff, Kevin, and ongoing PD, what's your approach been there? Um, we had you in initially for a couple of days. So we had a really big push at the start. One of the things that we do on an ongoing basis is at staff meetings, obviously we have three or four staff meetings a term, probably once a term or so, I'll get up and I'll just give some sort of reminders of of what we're doing, or I'll ask some of the year seven mentor teachers to get up and say what's working well with um, the program, that kind right. of thing. So it's at the front. I think last year we had a staff PD day where we ran internally and we had four staff, one of them being myself, and the teachers rotated through stations. Again, that was tied into coaching as well. Great. Um, it's ongoing, but I think one of the things with staff and staff training is, is you can never have enough time. And as we know, we're no. in schools, time is one of the most valuable assets. So yeah. obviously we, we can always use more. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the parents and I'm just reflecting back. I'm fairly sure I did a parent evening one time I was down there. What has been your approach to engaging the parents? Well, we've actually got two really, really successful parent evenings for the year seven and eights lined up. So I'll just talk about the year eight one. We wanted a parent evening that taught year eight parents some of the relationship skills that we were doing with the students. So we've set up an hour and a half parent evening where they come in and the first thing they do is they're given a color just so because obviously parents like to sit with friends as well as students. Yeah. And on the floor, there's this puzzle that they have to do and they have to work together. So, so right from the start, we're actually putting them in a situation where they have to use their communication skills okay. and we, as the basis for how we start. And we talk about, well, who sat there and did nothing? Who got angry? And we talk about, <laughs> even with our parent evenings, that theme that we give to the year level, it's the same content we want to give to the parents. And another part of that year eight evening, which I think really worked well, is after that initial stage, we get that same group. We get five parents and five students to sit across from each other. And what we've done is we've given them a script and the parents have about 10 questions and the students have about 10 questions. And the student questions might be along the lines of, parents, how many of you do not let your daughters take a, a phone into their room at night? And the parents have to tell the students and what that does is that actually creates conversation from family to family. Because sometimes as a parent, you don't yeah. know what's going on in other people's houses and the rules, right? So we've tied in communication, but we've made it in a fun way that is learning about communication, but also learning about how other families operate and stuff and just to open up conversations. That's really, really great. And so I know this being mindful of time too, really came to hear about, I guess, your greatest learning so far, what's worked well, what have been the barriers and what you might do differently if you had your chance again to start from the beginning. The greatest learning, that's quite powerful. Um, one of the things that when I got into my role I did was I mapped out what I wanted each year level and students to learn. And I think having that map is my rock. If something's going on in a year level, I go back to that document. What is the content we want right. to deliver for the year seven? And then from that, I go back to the idea. So I think the greatest learning is to have the vision of what you want and record it yep. almost like a policy 
and be true to that. Yep. I mean, obviously being agile and flexible enough to uh, adapt as, as it progresses, but having that basic blueprint or roadmap is a great idea. Yeah. The reason seven to nine works well here is we have phenomenal mentors and year-level coordinators. Our year-level coordinators honestly have as much passion about it as I do. And when that happens, it's going to trickle through. Yeah. They're pioneers in themselves. They've taken it on. They've run with it. If they're not doing what they're doing, then I don't have any success with what I'm doing. So I guess the greatest success is actually just how they've taken it on and has trickled through from the staff perspective at that point. Wow. So, I mean, that's often a big barrier is getting that, I guess, buy-in or intrinsic motivation, as we know from self-determination theory. Is there anything that you think really helped in terms of them making sense of it for themselves? Because that's often the key, isn't it? Like when you see that it can actually impact your own life, that sort of tips you over into that intrinsic motivation as well. Some schools that are doing posed, some of the feedback has been, particularly if they've been recruited and told you will be teaching posed. So what's been the key for your mentors in being so intrinsically motivated? The year-level coordinators, they're, they're just motivated people. I think we were very lucky with who we had. I think in terms of the mentors, one of the things we did, um, I, one of the, you know, we all have our mottos and quotes that we live by. And, and one of mine is kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, <laughs> sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> I think when we rolled it out, we wanted these lesson plans for sevens and eights to be as easy as possible for the teachers, because they're obviously strengths are in their subjects. So whether they're English teachers or yeah. teachers, so not all of them have well-being naturally as a strength. So what we did yeah. is we set up these lesson plans. We made PowerPoints. We made documents. Literally, if they, if, worst case scenario, they could go into a class, put up the PowerPoint, and almost follow it for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think the way we structured those lessons and the content for it, it was all sitting on a plate waiting for them to deliver it. And I think yeah. ease their minds. In terms of, okay, this is not going to stress me. I don't have to look for resources myself. I don't need to do as much. And then once you go through it one year, then they're hooked because they see how it works. They see how how smooth it was. They see the connections because the mentor teachers are the ones delivering the content. And they're also the ones who ultimately have to mentor and deal with well-being issues so they can start to see the links. But I think the ease of use, and the well-laid-out plan takes away the stress of what do I have to do, what do I have to do from teachers who might not be fully on board. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice, Kevin. And I think also you know, some of the learnings that I've had in working with numerous schools too is having that alignment through to, I guess, the broader vision for what the school is trying to do with POSED and the role of leadership in, uh, I guess, communicating and bringing staff on board and along the journey. Any thoughts or comments there? I think when you introduce something new, you're always going to have a little bit of hesitation, especially from staff who've been around a while because, oh, is this the most recent trend? How long is this going to last for? Yeah. I think we're lucky at Loretto. Like, well-being is such a, a strong part of who we are that what we're doing is really just enhancing what we're doing. So I think leadership team supported us and supports the program. They've obviously given us the resources and created a position to drive it in the school, but ultimately it's part of well-being. It's got to be part of well-being. It's mental health. It's a modern look at it. 
Yeah, I guess they're being really clear. I think we were talking about this earlier on. How are you positioning it? What's the rationale for it? And I think, you know, in the early days in particular, I had a lot of schools contacting me around it being, you know, that there had been significant mental health issues, if you like, or mental illness. But I think we're also seeing that it's multi-pronged, really, in a sense, in that it certainly does equip staff and students to more effectively deal with stress and, you know, hopefully prevent mental illness from arising. But I'm really excited to see the focus on it about being proactively enhancing wellbeing and also capability building, um, which also supports learning outcomes as well. You know, so there's a lovely connection in there too. Yeah, I think you've hit it on the nose there when you're talking about being proactive. I'm thinking of this picture where you have lifeguards saving bodies from the river going by and we can keep rescuing and we can keep fixing once we see things that are broken. But the beauty of Pause Ed is you're going upriver to try and stop these things from happening in the first place. And yeah. I think anything that helps with that is has got to be looked at. Absolutely. Now, we haven't got a lot of time left, Kevin, but as you know, the, the power of storytelling is, is very powerful. Is there one story, it could be, an, obviously need it to be anonymous of a student or staff or just something that stands out for you at your time in uh, implementing POSED? Like I said, I'm, I'm really proud of our end of year projects. And the year nine project is what we call LC Talks. And obviously we were Loretto-ized TED Talks by calling yes. them Loretto College Talks. <laughs> yeah. And every student has to do one. They have to explain concepts that they learned through the year, how that made them resilient and, and link it to something personal. They have to have a display behind them. So they're just doing a full-on TED Talk and everyone has to do this at the end of the year, we take six of those, along with your seven and eight students who are, who are presenting, and we have a well-being conference. And so we have 450 students in our, our theater, which we are lucky enough to have a big space. And we have students presenting to other students, well-being topics, explaining character strength, emotions. And we had one girl get up and explain her story. She has a Sudanese background. And... The story that her mother went through to get to Australia and the resilience that she showed and, and how it's affected her and, and just allowing a student to share that story and wanting to share it builds so much empathy in the school with, when we hear each other's stories and the staff listening to that, the students listening to that and just having her have her place. It's, it's just so powerful. And the fact that we can provide opportunities to hear and see that was a really moving moment. Absolutely. Very meaningful and also provides the opportunity to be mindful of our mindsets and the, I guess, stereotypes or biases that we sometimes hold. And um, so I think that sounds like a really powerful way to bring a lot of the concepts to life of POSED. Um, and Kevin, I know how enthusiastic you've been in terms of embracing POSED at the school. What about for yourself? I often like to ask our, our guests, what do you do to ensure your own you know, flourishing, if you like? To be honest with you, my family makes me flourish. But one of the things I do every night when I put my kids together, I have two children who are in primary school. And we have this little ritual when they go to bed, are three questions. So we always ask, what was your favorite part of the day? What are you grateful for? And what are you looking forward to? Aww. And we've been doing this for years to the point now <laughs> where if I try to say goodnight and leave, I'll get held up and they'll say, Dad, <laughs> we haven't done our questions or what are you grateful for? And 
And sometimes you can see that they're doing it because they just don't want to go to bed quite yet. But what <laughs> if, if they implemented some of those ideas of gratitude and forward thinking and it leaves them with a positive mindset when they go to sleep, but it also is the foundation of a good conversation before they go to bed. So I guess that would be the biggest for me spot where I've, I've lived it. And I guess by doing it with your children, it gives you an opportunity to reflect. And it's very aligned to the Ignatian uh, spiritual exercise of the examine, isn't it, <laughs> Kevin? Like in terms of reflecting on the day and looking for the, the good and then set setting, thinking about your intention for the next day. Yeah. And just that question of what are you looking forward to? It just means, you know, if you had a bad day, if you're stuck in a moment, you know, it just moves you to a better place. Uh, and I have to do that twice every night because I say goodnight to them separately. <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. So absolutely having a positive impact, I would think, on, on your own mood. Yes. yes. Oh, very good. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything today, Kevin. I have to say you have been one of the most enthusiastic heads of wellbeing that, that I've personally worked with over the years, which is a, a joy for me. Um, and I can see how much it means to you. So thank you so much for sharing and also to... Um, Loretto Ballarat, the principal Judith, uh, Elizabeth Till, who's also been instrumental in rolling it out. And uh, good luck with the, your continued journey. And hopefully we'll see you presenting at a, at a PISA conference yeah. very soon. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Susie. I appreciate just being part of the positive education community with yourself and being invited like to things like this. Sometimes when we're in our role, we forget that we are actually part of a bigger community and, and to get support from each other means means a lot. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And just briefly, this is, as you would know, the second series of the podcast. And uh, I've just returned from the International Positive Site Congress in Melbourne. And I had a number of uh, educators come up and just tell me how much it's helped. So it's definitely a ripple effect and it's meaningful work for me as well. So thank you once again. No problem. Thanks for having me, Susie. Thank you so much for listening to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series two. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Perth College, who will also be the host of the upcoming Flourish 2019 conference in Perth on Saturday, the 26th of October. If you'd like to stay in the loop for all things POSED, be sure to join our Pioneers of Positive Education Facebook group or sign up for our free monthly Pi News. Thanks for listening and bye for now.